Welcome back to another episode of the MCG Pediatric Podcast. My name is Ifra Waris, and I'm a medical student here at the Medical College of Georgia. I'm excited to be joined by my fellow medical student, Morgan Franklin. How are you doing today, Morgan? Hey, everyone. I'm doing well, and I'm very excited to be here. On today's episode, we will be tackling the subject of acetaminophen overdose in the pediatric patient. To help with our discussion today, we are joined by Dr. George Shu, who is a pediatric emergency room physician at the Children's Hospital of Georgia. Welcome, Dr. Shu. Thanks for having me today. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Accidental ingestion of over-the-counter medication occurs pretty often, especially in the pediatric population. But there are some medications that I worry about much more because of the potential consequences of overdose, and that includes acetaminophen, or more commonly known as the brand name Tylenol. Yes, that's right. Part of the reason acetaminophen toxicity is common is because the medication is so readily available. Most families have some form of it in their medicine cabinet. Acetaminophen is a great medication to relieve pain and fever, if dosed appropriately. However, it's also responsible for roughly 56,000 emergency department visits, 2,600 hospitalizations, and 500 deaths per year in the United States. And of those numbers, 50% of them are unintentional overdoses. So what about intentional overdose? How common is acetaminophen responsible for that? As many as 25% of patients taking intentional drug overdoses are suspected of having ingested acetaminophen, either alone or in combination with other medications. Acetaminophen is the active ingredient in Tylenol and can be found in many other over-the-counter medications as well as in prescription drugs, so access is not a problem. As a subspecialist that cares for children, I have found that the adolescent population are most vulnerable to intentional overdoses as a method of suicide. As we will discuss later, there are serious medical consequences of acetaminophen toxicity, including liver dysfunction with renal failure, coagulopathies, metabolic acidosis, and encephalopathy. For this reason, it is vital that we understand to recognize, treat, and manage suspected acetaminophen overdoses quickly. So Morgan, why don't you get us started with a clinical case? Sure. A 14-year-old female presents to the pediatric emergency room with persistent nausea and vomiting for the last two hours. She was brought in by her mother, who found her lying on the bathroom floor. On exam, the patient is curled up on the exam table and refuses to answer your questions. So this is a great case. So we have an adolescent female with nausea and vomiting for at least the past two hours. Two pretty nonspecific findings, but we're in the emergency room, so we need to think quickly. What is on your differential diagnosis? Well, you should always consider the common things, such as gastroenteritis or some other viral illness. Other differentials would include food poisoning, untreated gastroesophageal reflux, migraine headaches, or something more serious like a bowel obstruction. Great start. So how does being an adolescent help expand your differential? Well, you should think of pregnancy if it's a female of reproductive age, which can quickly be ruled out with a urine pregnancy test. You may also think about an eating disorder that involves purging or cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. And of course, ingestion or even inhalation of some toxic substance, especially in an adolescent, should always be included in your differential. Great job. Let's move on and get more history and a thorough review of systems to help narrow our differential. Tell me more, Morgan. Well, as I said, the symptoms started about two hours ago and the patient has had no fever or other cold-like symptoms. I'm thinking less of infectious process since this is acute. Mom does not recall any complaint of diarrhea or abdominal pain, but does share that she is concerned the child has not been eating much and perhaps has lost some weight. No one else in the house is sick with similar symptoms. 
Upon further questioning, the mother reports that her daughter hasn't been herself since her grandmother died a few months ago. She is currently on the wait list to see psychiatry due to concerns of depression. Okay, so we have an adolescent patient with a history of nausea, vomiting, and possible depression. Lots of interesting points you've brought up. Let's talk about the physical exam. You mentioned earlier that the patient is curled up in a ball on the exam table and refuses to talk to you. It's also important to recognize if the patient is in this position because of distress and pain, you have to think about an acute abdomen. Or is this because she's an adolescent teenager who doesn't want to talk to a bunch of doctors and nurses? The amount of distress a patient is in should be evident the minute you step in the room. So tell me more. She is afebrile and vital signs appear stable with normal blood pressure, heart rate, and respiratory rate. She is satting at 100% on room air. The patient reluctantly allows for an abdominal exam without any signs of distress. There are no signs of trauma to the abdomen and bowel sounds are present but hypoactive. Upon palpation, there are no signs of significant tenderness or hepatoorganomegaly. Ifra, if we were worried about ingestion, would we have abnormal findings on the abdominal exam? Well, that depends on the ingestion. For acetaminophen, it may take up to 24 hours before the patient is symptomatic with the classic right upper quadrant abdominal pain. But other areas like tenderness of the epigastric region could be due to a GI complaint like GERD, gastroenteritis, food poisoning, or overdose of other common medications like salicylates or ibuprofen. And don't forget to check for signs of an acute abdomen such as appendicitis or bowel obstruction. Those would be a surgical emergency. Yes, we definitely don't want to miss that. Okay, so her abdominal exam is unremarkable. What other physical exam findings would be helpful? Well, work of breathing is always important. If we are thinking ingestion, signs of gasping, audible wheezes, and tachypnea are worrisome, but our patient doesn't seem to have any of these symptoms. It's also important to look for skin findings such as cut marks or burns that might indicate signs of previous suicide attempts. Jaundice and ease of bleeding or bruising may be a sign of late stages of acetaminophen toxicity as well. A thorough neurological exam should also be performed to check for any alteration in mental status or neurological deficits. So, Dr. Shu, our patient finally admits that she took some pills earlier today, probably about five hours before her mom found her in the bathroom, but she has no idea what or how many pills she took. Now what? Well, for any ingestion, time is of the essence. We need to identify quickly what she has taken to decrease risk of morbidity and even mortality. What are some ways we can quickly find out what she took? What about some labs? Can we get a urine toxicity screen? Absolutely. But we are still waiting for her to urinate for us to check for pregnancy. Who knows when we can get these results? Some basic labs may be helpful. A complete blood count with differential is helpful to evaluate for anemia. A comprehensive metabolic panel, or CMP, would be helpful to assess kidney and liver functions, as well as electrolyte abnormalities. Additionally, coagulation studies, including a PT, PTT, and INR, would be helpful to evaluate for coagulopathies. This is a secondary way to assess for liver functionality, which can be affected in Tylenol toxicity because coagulation factors are made in the liver. What are a few other labs that may be helpful? Well, if we're worried about metabolic causes, an arterial blood gas or ABG would be helpful to assess acid-base status. We should also think about getting an ECG at bedside to assess for cardiac causes. Yes, those would all be good initial tests to order for evaluating this patient in the ER. The ECG is a quick way to check for arrhythmias or conduction issues that can be caused by imbalances in electrolytes. What else can we do in the meantime while we are waiting for lab results? Well, since we don't know what she took, we should probably ask mom what medications are home. 
If she can't remember, then she can call someone to look and see if there are any medications missing. We could also ask the child to try and describe the color or shape of the pill or bottle. Great ideas. Two common types of intentional overdoses in adolescence are acetaminophen and aspirin. So we could order labs for serum acetaminophen and salicylate levels. Other possible medication overdoses include SSRIs, atypical antipsychotics, and antihistamines. So mom reports the only medication in the home is Tylenol. She just checked with her husband at home, who reports the current bottle they have is near empty. Okay, now we need to act fast. Ideally, the acetaminophen level should be determined at the four-hour post-ingestion mark or as soon as possible to help guide management. So what if you don't know when they ingested the Tylenol? For those with no clear time of exposure or ingestion, this can be a treatment challenge with substantial practice variation. For me, I approach these situations as a worst-case scenario for the time of ingestion. But before we get there, Morgan, what have you learned in medical school about the pharmacologic mechanism of acetaminophen? Well, I know that acetaminophen is rapidly absorbed in the gastrointestinal tract. Acetaminophen has an elimination half-life of two to four hours, but this can vary based on if a patient has underlying hepatic dysfunction or if the person consumed it with food or other medications that could affect gastric motility. It is metabolized by the liver, where it is conjugated to a non-toxic, water-soluble metabolites that are excreted in the urine. Great job. Let's talk about the stages of acetaminophen toxicity. Well, I know that therapeutic levels of acetaminophen peak in 30 minutes to 2 hours. And for overdose, levels typically peak at 4 hours. So what level of acetaminophen would be considered toxic? The diagnosis of acetaminophen toxicity is based on serum levels of the drug, even if a patient presents with no symptoms. The general recommendation is that a physician should suspect and treat for an overdose if the acetaminophen level is greater than 20 micrograms per milliliter or if liver function tests are elevated. Dr. Shu, I know that there's a nomogram to help guide management of acetaminophen toxicity, right? That's right, Morgan. Specifically, the RUMAC-Matthew nomogram for acetaminophen toxicity is a sensitive medical prediction tool that interprets serum acetaminophen concentrations in relation to time since ingestion. It helps the clinician have an idea of the associated hepatotoxic risk and guides treatment efforts based on the level of toxicity present. At a level of greater than 140 micrograms per milliliter at 4 hours from ingestion, you should consider the potential for hepatotoxicity, although there is some discrepancies in the literature in what is considered risk for liver injury, 140 micrograms per milliliter versus 150 micrograms per milliliter at the 4-hour mark. In any case, it is helpful to have a toxicologist, such as a local poison control center, weigh in to help with the management and resuscitation in these instances. Another note, the RUMAC-Matthew nomogram is really only helpful in acute one-dose ingestion like our case here. Dr. Shu, how does the presentation of acetaminophen overdose change as the time since ingestion increases? That's a great question. As time elapses after an overdose of acetaminophen, the presentation of the patient can change quite dramatically. In the first 24 hours, the symptoms of acetaminophen overdose are fairly nonspecific. This can include nausea and vomiting, as we've seen in our patient. There might be lethargy or malaise. Anorexia may also be present. If a large enough dose of acetaminophen was consumed, the difficult part is that in some patients, they may also be asymptomatic during this time period. That can make it really hard to figure out if an overdose has occurred, especially if the child does not inform others of the overdose. That's correct. 
The next phase of acetaminophen toxicity is between one to three days after the overdose. That is when the hepatotoxic effects of acetaminophen begin to present. Patients may begin complaining of the classic right upper quadrant pain. It's important to begin trending labs to help monitor the extent of toxicity. Lab work may also begin to show signs of transaminitis, which would be in elevated AST and ALT levels, roughly at least in the hundreds, but can be as high as the 1 to 10,000 range. There may also be a fall in the production of coagulation factors that would be indicated by bleeding at puncture sites or at the mucous membranes. They will also have an elevated PT-INR and eventually elevated PTT. Arterial blood gas concentrations would also indicate any acid-base abnormalities that need to be addressed. So how often should labs be drawn? That's a great question. Acetaminophen concentration peaks four hours post-ingestion. Measuring serum acetaminophen concentration levels in our patient would be useful between 4 to 24 hours from the time of ingestion. We should also check coags if there is liver dysfunction and check a CMP to look for both liver and renal dysfunction. A blood gas should also be obtained if the bicarb levels are either elevated or decreased. And don't forget about an ammonia level if there's a presence of decreased mental status. If there's concern for co-ingestion of another substance, then you may need to trend other labs. Going back to your question about not knowing a clear time of ingestion, there is significant practice variation and no clear guidance in the literature in these scenarios, although obtaining acetaminophen levels at time 0, 4, 8, and the 12-hour mark and trending these levels with expert guidance from a toxicologist will help guide your management in these instances. Good to know. In severe cases, this liver dysfunction may progress to acute liver failure around three to four days after ingestion. These patients can show a variety of signs and symptoms due to liver failure ranging from jaundice and ascites to hepatic encephalopathy and seizures. But hopefully using the nomogram and trending labs will help clinicians intervene in a timely manner to prevent these complications. So speaking of interventions, let's say our patient has a confirmed diagnosis of acetaminophen overdose. We're still in the emergency room, so now what? The treatment of acetaminophen toxicity is dependent on the time the drug was ingested. In the first hour after ingestion, activated charcoal can be administered orally to absorb the acetaminophen still present in the GI tract and prevent toxicity. After the first hour, it is still possible to use activated charcoal as an adjuvant therapy but the efficacy decreases as the time since ingestion lengthens. So our patient's symptoms of nausea and vomiting have been present for the past two hours, but she admitted to taking the pills about five hours ago. What should we do now? With a confirmed elevated serum acetaminophen concentration in combination with the clinical history, we would proceed with treatment with N-acetylcysteine, NAC for short, NAC can provide protection against liver toxicity if given within 8 hours of ingestion. How does NAC help treat acetaminophen overdose? Before we discuss how NAC helps treat acetaminophen overdose, let's review some more pathophysiology on how acetaminophen is metabolized in the body. Ifra and Morgan, what do you remember in medical school and how it is metabolized? So, a single dose of acetaminophen is metabolized by glucuronidation or sulfation. About 5% of a therapeutic dose is metabolized by cytochrome P450 2E1 to an electropile known as N-acetyl P-benzoquinone amine or NAPQI. 
This electrophile is very toxic to the liver, but the body rapidly detoxifies it by its interaction with glutathione to form cysteine and mercapturic acid conjugates. That's right. This creates non-toxic, water-soluble metabolites that are excreted in the urine. However, if there is an overdose of acetaminophen, the stores of hepatic glutathione are depleted, and this allows liver injury to occur. Great job explaining that. So how does NAC actually work to treat toxicity? NAC works by several different mechanisms. It prevents the binding of NAPQI to hepatic macromolecules. This acts as a substitute for glutathione, which is a precursor for sulfate, and reduces NAPQI back to acetaminophen. Ultimately, this protects the patient from liver toxicity. So NAC works by inhibiting the buildup of toxic metabolite NAPQI through various mechanisms. How do we decide the therapeutic dose of NAC to administer? NAC can be administered via oral or intravenous formulations. Both oral and IV formulations follow a specific pattern of dosing. Oral NAC is given as a loading dose of 140 mg per kilogram with a maintenance dose of 70 mg per kilogram that are repeated every 4 hours for a total of 17 doses over a 72-hour period. IV NAC is given as a loading dose of 150 mg per kilogram over 15 to 60 minutes, followed by infusions in smaller amounts over the course of 20 hours. So what about other therapies like activated charcoal and gastric lavage? Are these options for our patient? Great question. But let's first talk about what these therapies are. What do you guys know about gastric lavage and activated charcoal? So gastric lavage involves the placement of an orogastric or nasogastric tube in the patient. This allows us to suction out gastric contents. An activated charcoal is orally administered and absorbs ingested toxins within the GI tract so that the toxin is not absorbed systemically. Great job. Actually, both gastric lavage and activated charcoal are not always routinely used. There actually isn't much evidence that has shown gastric lavage reduces the risk of liver damage, and activated charcoal is recommended only if the patient presents within one hour of acetaminophen ingestion since it functions to inhibit systemic absorption of the toxin within that time period. But obviously, this doesn't happen often. Activated charcoal is a tarry and thick substance taken orally, so it's not a great idea to use if you're concerned that a child is unable to protect their airway. So the use of activated charcoal has some risks then? 100%. The biggest risk of activated charcoal is pulmonary aspiration, which could then lead to aspiration pneumonitis. When should we be concerned about pulmonary aspiration for a patient? Aspiration can result from emesis, so we should avoid the use of activated charcoal in patients with nausea or intestinal obstruction. We should also avoid it in patients with altered mental status or reduce consciousness because they are unable to protect their airway. Good to know. So what are some complications of acetaminophen overdose we should be watching out for? Did you know that acetaminophen toxicity can actually cause life-threatening skin reactions? These can be severe enough to cause blindness and even death. Can you think of the specific conditions I'm talking about? So I'm thinking about Stevens-Johnson syndrome, toxic epidermal necrolysis, and acute generalized exanthematous fustulosis, or AGEP. In addition, high levels of acetaminophen may also lead to acute liver failure, renal failure, pancreatitis, and of course, even death. In cases as severe as these, liver transplant is necessary. That was a great discussion, but let's get back to our patient. I will quickly summarize what has happened so far. We have a 14-year-old female who is presented to the pediatric ER for a potential overdose of an unknown substance. She has a two-hour history of nausea and vomiting and an unintentional weight loss over the past few weeks. 
The patient denies abdominal pain or a missed last menstrual period. The physical exam is unremarkable with no abdominal tenderness, rebound tenderness, or hepatomegaly. As part of her initial workup, a CBC, CMP, PT, PTT, and a serum acetaminophen concentration has been ordered, as well as a urine drug screen, metabolic panel, and EKG. The patient's serum acetaminophen concentration comes back as 213 micrograms per milliliter, five hours after ingestion. Now what? Okay, let's use the RUMAC Matthew nomogram. Based on the time since ingestion and acetaminophen concentration, our patient is at risk for possible liver toxicity on the nomogram. This, in- this indicates that she should receive the 21-hour NAC dosing regimen to treat her overdose. Oral NAC can be administered, but IV NAC would be more appropriate in the setting of an adolescent female who is already experiencing nausea and vomiting. Dr. Xu, how long should patients with suspected acetaminophen overdose be observed in the emergency room, and when should they be admitted for further management in the ICU? In general, any patient that has established acetaminophen toxicity based on their serum acetaminophen concentration will need to be managed inpatient. This is to administer treatment and monitor liver function and other systems continuously. We need to watch out for signs of liver failure, renal failure, metabolic acidosis, encephalopathy, and coagulopathies when monitoring our patient. This is best done in the inpatient setting. If a patient begins to show signs of acute liver failure, it would be prudent to go ahead and consult a transplant specialist in the event a liver transplant becomes necessary. So once the patient is admitted, when is it safe to say the patient is better and can be discharged? That depends on a combination of factors. Once our patient is no longer displaying symptoms, her acetaminophen concentration is undetectable, and her ALT is within normal limits, she could be medically cleared and discharged home. However, if this is an intentional overdose, psychiatry needs to be consulted as early as possible. Once the patient is medically cleared, psychiatry can then determine if she will be transferred to either an inpatient psychiatric unit or if she is deemed safe to be followed as an outpatient. What a great discussion, but it's already time to wrap up our episode. Let's quickly summarize what we've learned today. Our initial evaluation of the patient should include a comprehensive physical exam. Always make sure to note for the presence of a fever, as this would raise the likelihood of infection on your differential. Physical exam should include a basic neurological exam, assessment of bleeding and bruising, as well as a comprehensive abdominal exam. Beyond a physical exam, we should obtain a CBC, CMP, a urine drug screen, a pregnancy test, coagulation studies, and arterial blood gases. These are all helpful in our initial evaluation for our patient. We should always remember to keep intentional drug overdoses on our differential, especially in the case of an adolescent patient who presents with nonspecific symptoms such as nausea and vomiting. And our patient must not miss diagnoses based on her symptoms include drug toxicity and acute abdomen such as appendicitis and pregnancy. So asking the patient and caretaker about any ingestion of drugs or unknown substances should be routine. Additionally, the presentation of acetaminophen toxicity is time-dependent and patients can present asymptomatically or with nonspecific symptoms within the first 24 hours. At later stages of presentation, they may present with right upper quadrant pain, jaundice, convulsions, coma, or other symptoms. In these more severe presentations, it is always recommended to trend the levels of acetaminophen and consult poison control and a toxicologist. It is important to remember that patients may not always fit the classic presentations of acetaminophen toxicity as well. Patients with an unclear time of ingestion and acute on chronic ingestion or underlying liver dysfunction may also present differently than what we have described today. 
Patients may also be on medications that alter the metabolism of acetaminophen, which could cause them to develop toxicity after ingesting a smaller amount than average. Once acute acetaminophen toxicity is determined, the serum acetaminophen concentration should be closely monitored. This level helps guide our administration of NAC as treatment to prevent further liver damage. Remember that NAC works to prevent hepatocellular injury by inhibiting the buildup of the toxic metabolite NAPQI. Also, don't forget that treatment is dependent on time since ingestion of acetaminophen, and activated charcoal can be used if the patient presents within one hour of ingestion to reduce the absorption of toxins. Patients with a suspected overdose, whether acute or chronic, should always be referred to the pediatric emergency department for workup to assess both hepatic and neurologic function. Patients with acetaminophen toxicity then need to be admitted for inpatient management in order to administer treatment and monitor both serum acetaminophen concentrations and liver function over time. Consultation with a transplant specialist should be initiated soon if there are signs or symptoms of acute liver failure. Psychiatry should also be consulted to evaluate our patient's mental health. Thanks, Dr. Shu. We hope the listeners have a better grasp of how to evaluate acetaminophen toxicity. 100%. Thanks for having me. An additional thanks to Dr. Rebecca Yang and Dr. Arden Conway, who provided editing and peer review of today's discussion. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Department of Pediatrics at the Medical College of Georgia. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can email us at mcgpediatricpodcast at augusta.edu. Remember that all content during this episode is intended for educational purposes only. It should not be used as medical advice to diagnose or treat any particular patient. Clinical vignette cases presented are based on hypothetical patient scenarios. Free CME credit is also available for this episode. Please refer to our show notes and website for the link. We look forward to speaking with you on our next episode of the MCG Pediatric Podcast.